this morning as we go into the text of chapter 4, and we'll actually get into it today, the first 11 verses. Last week was a preparation for that, hoping to set a stage for us to better understand what is going on here within the context of the entire Bible, always wanting to bring that to bear. But as we do this this morning, and I know that I'm sure I'll make comments about it, as we look at these temptations, which we'll get to after a few minutes again of a little more preparation, I want us to note, I'm sorry, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to note what we already know, but to bring it to bear in a greater way, in a greater forcefulness in our lives. We will see that Jesus overcomes each of the temptations, not on his divine abilities as the eternal son of God, but as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, which also means filled with the word of God. Because even though Jesus himself is the word of God, the Holy Spirit is the one who manifests and brings to a reality the good, the life, and the empowerment, and the function, the memory, the activity of the Word of God in us. And so Jesus faces the temptations of the devil, being filled with the Spirit, which means being filled with a knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual wisdom and understanding. Remember Paul's prayer in Colossians 1.9. Which should show us this morning again and again, as we already know, the absolute centrality, necessity of not just reading the Bible even daily, but reading it, desiring and by faith, believing and then receiving and then walking as God the Spirit vivifies, makes alive in us himself through his word. Because any and every temptation that the enemy throws at us will be a temptation that has something to do with the word of God. The greater our knowledge, the greater empowerment to withstand. The less our knowledge, the greater ability to deceive. Amen. So this morning as we go through this, let's be a people who say, I will by the Spirit bear down in my study of, memorization of, meditation upon, etc., etc., of the word of God. Amen. Donna, you didn't have to leave just because we said that, brother. We apologize to you. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word. Father, for in your word, by your word, and through your word, we have all things by the Spirit. Father, by your word, we know and fellowship with you as you manifest yourself to us. 
So, Father, as we continue to study this morning, we're just praying that you will do a much deeper work in each one of us, bringing us to conformity to your own self, being conformed to the image of your Son, being transformed by the renewing of our our minds, all by the Word, through the Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we saw again in Matthew chapter 3, verses verse 16 and 17, where Jesus was anointed by the Spirit in the wilderness. And again, that was the most significant preparation and inauguration and sending forth that was required in order for Jesus to be not only the Son of God, the Son of Man, but to function in his messianic goal, his messianic role of redeeming God's people. And so now that Jesus has been anointed, as we saw, as a Messiah, now he is ready to do what 1 John 3.8 says. Remember 1 John 3.8, the second part of 1 John 3.8. All of us should know this verse, 1 John 3.8. For the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. You see, Jesus must destroy the very reason and foundation that causes us to have been incarcerated in Satan's cell of sin. And Jesus comes to destroy the works of Satan so that we may be released from Satan's cell of sin to walk in the freedom of the sons of God. And so Jesus has been anointed now as Messiah to begin to do that work. And so as such, Jesus came to undo what Adam did. Jesus came to obey where Adam disobeyed. Jesus came to restore God's people to God's presence as his image bearers. And so here we have the Son of God, the Son of Man on earth, to bring us back into the very presence of God that he intended in the creation of man in the Garden of Eden. And so Jesus, by being the obedient Son of God, the obedient second Adam, would be then qualified to become the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And so what has to happen is not just another man has to obey, but another man, by his obedience, in the absolute sense of the word, without having any sin in his nature, having been born without sin, and having walked without sin, and so Jesus is birthed into the world as Adam was created, without sin. And then as Adam is given the probation, the opportunity to sin, to be tempted to withdraw from God's will and to do it his way, Jesus is going to, in himself, have the same opportunity to disobey or rebel against God's will. And so as Adam failed, now another man must come without sin in his personhood, in his nature, and be qualified to become the second Adam through his obedience. And so let's remember this. No 
human being upon the face of the earth except one man has ever been qualified to merit God's favor. Do we get it? Only Jesus merits God's favor, earns his favor through his obedience. And the Bible says that we were in Christ. And so when Jesus earns the eternal pleasing favor of God, you are my beloved son. We in him are included in that earned favor. Amen. That's why we can't earn it, but we have it given to us. He earned it. Now, his is by earning. Ours is by grace. And so he comes into the wilderness, remember, led by the Spirit, to be tempted by the devil. First of all, the word tempted. The Greek word for tempt or to be tempted has two meanings, two functions, two ways it is used. One of the ways is for testing or proving or demonstrating the genuineness of something. And so in 1 Peter 1, 7, the word says, the tested genuineness of your faith, so that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So first of all, the word tempted is used when you read the Bible, when it means tested, then it will be used as tested. It means to test the genuineness of something. I think that's pretty obvious. We don't have to go into detail. The second use for this word is for the opportunity or the desire to entice or to lure to sin. It's the same word, to entice or lure to sin. And so when James says God cannot be tested and nor does he tempt anyone. God is not the author to lure us into sin. God may use Satan's luring us into sin to test us or to demonstrate how we are walking with him, areas of weakness, areas that we need to have corrected. So he will use the temptations of Satan in my life that will lure me or entice me to sin in any particular area. And as he does that, he is revealing to me, he's revealing to you areas that need to be bolstered by the Spirit, need to be built up, need to be encouraged, need to be corrected. So you see, God then allows us to be tested for our good and building up. Satan desires to tempt and entice us for tearing down. And so anytime you are tempted to sin, don't bewail and bemoan this. Deal with it by faith. Thanking God that he has allowed the enemy's hand to come against you because in the enemy's hand is the hand of God to use that which enemy wanted for evil to turn it around for good. So what did I just quote? Genesis 50 verse 20. And I think you'll probably have to just look that up later. So here is Satan's strategy. As Jesus goes into the wilderness, here's the second Adam. I succeeded in the first Adam, causing him to be plunged into idolatry. Here's Satan's strategy in the wilderness. Idolatry. Here's Satan's strategy in every one of our lives, no matter what the area is. Idolatry. 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 
Idolatry is the preferring of something or someone apart from the will of God. It is a decision or a desire on our part that leads us to do or want something or desire something or to say something or to think something or to go somewhere, etc., etc., apart from the leading of the Spirit of God. And so when we make decisions, decisions about what we're going to be doing and where we're going to be living and how we're going to win, and all of these decisions of life, it is an extremely dangerous thing that believers do. Well, I think I'm free to make these decisions. Well, we are free. Free to depend upon the leading of the Spirit in these decisions. I'm free, Chris. But not free to make these decisions within the context of my own fallen flesh. But free to go to the Lord and say, Father, I have an opportunity for this job. Would you be leading? Father, I have an opportunity to go over here and to live here. Would you be leading? Father, I have three opportunities here, three desires here. Which one, if any, are from you? And so these are the kinds of decisions that we need to be making, the kind of life that we need to be leading. I don't know, but I would dare say, and this shows the amount of idolatry in the flesh, that any decision, any desire, any whatever in my life, and I mean it at least for me, that is not being led by the Spirit in some way, as the Spirit leads in a variety of ways, I understand that. Anything apart from the Spirit's leading is idolatry. And will, if allowed to continue to build in my life, a pattern of being led by that which the Holy Spirit is not doing, being led by something other than the Holy Spirit, it begins to be bringing destruction and weakness into my life with God. And so, idolatry is the issue here. Idolatry was Satan's goal in the Garden of Eden, remember? Which started with a very simple question, but in that question was a major deadly statement. Hath God said... Did God really say, do you really think that that's what God meant? Should you take the word that literally? Aren't there other ways? Isn't there another understanding here? And so immediately Satan came to Eve, and the first thing he does is to undermine her, uh, her, her authority or her dependence, rather, upon the word of God. The Holy Spirit had already instructed Adam what to do and how to do it. He'd already given him the information about don't eat of the fruit of that tree. And Adam obviously gave it to his wife. That was his responsibility. And so his wife had the information. And so the enemy is coming there and to undermine undermine her dependence upon and her trusting in God himself. You see, Satan's goal was to create an opportunity for idolatry. 
And so remember in verse chapter 3, verse 4 of Genesis, what was the bottom line for Satan? And what is the bottom line in every single temptation we have? This is the bottom line for any and every temptation. There is a bottom line. You shall be as God. Oh, I don't think so. Oh, no. I, I know better than that. I mean, man, John, when I'm tempted, I, I may be tempted to do this and that or whatever, but I'm certainly not tempted to be. Well, yes, you are. Because you are being tempted to do something for or about yourself in preference for God. It is a temptation for something other in any area and to any degree, a temptation to replace the absolute sovereignty of God. Maybe just a little bit. But you see, we can't take just a hair of the sovereignty of God away from him and live in that area apart from the will of God without absolutely taking all the sovereignty of God away from him in our lives as far as our obedience is concerned. Once you touch the least, if you would, and there's no least, but in our minds, the least area in God's sovereignty, we have touched the total area of God's sovereignty. Correct? Why? Because God is a comprehensive, eternal being. And we can't touch anything of God without touching everything of God. We can't touch anything of God without touching everything of God. So it's just a little area. I mean, if I say this or give in a little bit over here or compromise a hair over here, it'll be okay. That's the enemy's deception. It will be okay if you eat of the fruit. It'll be okay. I want us to hear this and get it into our beings this morning. It'll be okay. Because I want us, as we go through this, I, 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 I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to hear ourselves in this and hear the whispering of an enemy in this. It's okay. I don't think it will be wrong. I wonder if the moment I hear in my own mind about thought, word, or deed, I wonder if. Have you ever, any of y'all ever heard that? In your own, how many of you have actually heard that in your mind? I wonder if the moment I hear that, I know it's a temptation. You know why, Jamal? Because God does not speak in those terms. There's only one spirit who says, I wonder if. The moment you hear that, get up, yell and scream at Satan to get out, and run away from hell. I wonder if, I wonder if, and if you really genuinely don't understand, then don't do it. Go to God and what? Elaine, what? Ask. Father, is this from you? Thank you, Henry. Thank you, Henry. That's Henry uh, Darrensborg who's preaching along with us. I wonder if, if you don't know, Harold, do what? Ask. But don't make a decision based on what you're trying to figure out, Gordon. Don't do it. Ask. It's a huge problem. Huge problem. I know, I know how I am bombarded with it. I wonder if. Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. And then Johnny, what? If you ask, it will be what? Given. If you seek, you will. If you open, it will be 
open. Someone has just taken Anna Chatelaine's place at this head table. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I like this. I like this. And you see, what happened was when Eve began to wonder if. Watch. When she began to wonder if. She looked away from God by wondering if. And then the Bible says the woman saw that the tree was good for food, delight to the eyes, to make one wise. Huh. You see, because if we entertain the temptation beyond the moment that it comes to us, it begins to ensnare us. If we begin to entertain the temptation beyond the moment it comes to us, it will begin to ensnare us. You and I have no ability to withstand a temptation if we are going to entertain it. It's part of the deception. What happened? And she took of it and ate and then Adam ate. Genesis 3, 6. You see, you, you remember the, the, there were three areas. She saw that the what? The fruit was what? Good for food, a delight to the eyes, and able to make a person wise. When you look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. You know, because the love of the world is not loving God. And then he says this in verse 16. The love of the world has the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That's how he outlines. And so, when we see these temptations in the Matthew presentation, we begin to see the same temptations and the same outworking of these temptations that Eve was undergoing in Genesis that 1 John 2.16 explains. We see them in action in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Just to remind us of this, listen to what Jesus said. Anyone who loves his mom and them more than he loves me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves son or daughter is not worthy of me. Anyone who puts anything of personal worth or activity before what I'm calling you to do is participating in idolatry. Idolatry. Yeah, but brother, you don't understand. I know the church is doing this, but, but I, I just have to, I have to do this first. Or I have to do that. And you might say, well, okay, well, are you going to say that just because the church is doing something, that's God for me? I have other things in my life. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying this. If God the Holy Spirit is giving the elders of this church a direction, and this is what we need to do, and with, hopefully, first of all, that's the Holy Spirit giving us the opportunity to set before all of us the praise and the presence and the worth and the worthiness, etc., of God. Amen? So we're not doing this because we ain't got nothing else to do in life. You know, we're not doing this because, hey, I'd love to do something because I don't have anything else going for me. We have a lot going for us. But God is giving us direction. And then as that happens, 
I have to make a decision as a member of the church. Well, just because they have this activity doesn't mean I have to go. You see, that's idolatrous thinking. What you should do, Mike, is what? God has told these men, this is what we should do. There's an opportunity for God's grace, right? So what do you do? Father, should I be there? Should I do that? And the thought comes to you, well, no, I can't do that because I have this or that or the other. Then say, Father, if this is your will, I want to participate in what you are making available for us. Would you open the door? If God doesn't open the door, Johnny, that's God's business. But we have not because we ask not. And when we refuse to do that, we are being lured into idolatry. We are being lured to have something for or about ourselves over what God is offering us. And it's a very pervasive thing in our lives, and we have to be aware of it, and we have to stand against it. Several men said, I, I can't, can't, couldn't come to the retreat. I understand that. I genuinely do. I know one man who couldn't. You know, I, I genuinely do. But here's the issue. Did you ask God? Well, no. It's drifting into idolatry. Oh, well, you mean to tell me if I don't go to the retreat, I'm an idol worshiper? No, I didn't say that. Not going to God and being led by the Spirit rather than by your own decisions, what is important and what should and should not be done is Drifting into what? Idolatry. So you remember the first command that the Lord gave Israel in the, uh, in the wilderness? In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, it's the same command that God gave Adam. In Genesis 2, 17, it says, don't eat of the fruit. In Exodus 20, verse 3, how is it termed? You shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because eating of the fruit was putting something or someone ahead of God being the absolute sovereign and ruler, having right to govern our lives in any and every aspect of our life. So let's look at Jesus as he goes into the wilderness. And as he goes in, he has a purpose. As the Son of God, who is now the Son of Man, having clothed, and taken unto himself a human body and soul, as a man, he will, be, uh, he will allow himself to be tempted as Adam was. But now, in his obedience, he will dismantle Satan's authority over God's people. First temptation, verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Forty days of food deprivation. Now Jesus is at the most vulnerable, natural place. He's at the most vulnerable place. How many of you have ever noticed that when you've been sick for a long time, you're much more vulnerable to giving in to temptation? Anger, bitterness, frustration, whatever. Anybody ever notice this? That our, our, our abilities in the natural are reduced. I remember before I had this operation on my back in 08, it was about four or five or whatever months of absolute terrible, terrible pain where 
most of the time I couldn't walk except with a cane, and that very, very carefully. I couldn't put one foot before the other except for a few inches. And I remember walking to the end of the block, which is maybe, uh, you know, 100 feet away, and getting to the end of the block. (sighs) 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 Any of you had pain like that? I mean, it was bad. And I noticed the battle that I had to wage just to maintain my normal, effervescent, pleasing, lovely, easy personality. What are we laughing about? My very gentle and kind and considerate. I mean, my personality. I'm taking notes of those of you who are laughing, by the way. I'm watching carefully. There's a camera around here. And Bob is, are you making notes of this, Bob? We're having some meetings here next week. And truly, I I found myself unable to exercise the normal self-control that we have. And I found myself having to plead with God and depended upon the Holy Spirit in a way that I had not previously. Jesus was at a low natural state of ability to withstand the temptations of the devil. And then slimy serpent comes slithering in, you see. Trust when there are problems in your life, in whatever category, expect the slime to slither in. Amen? Expect it and be ready. And the tempter came to him and he said, do you see the power of the word of God and the word of the lie? Because all our temptations have to do with thoughts and desires. Amen? He said, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. What is that? Idolatry is Satan's desire and goal. Satan seeks to entice Jesus to use his own personal power for his own personal benefit apart from God's empowering will. Was it God's will that Jesus starved to death in the wilderness? No. Had the son of God said, Father, I'm hungry Is it your will that I should have something to eat? That's the way we should go about these issues. But you see, Jesus already knew the answer, but you can still ask if you know the answer. Ask. If it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Jesus knew better, but he wanted to know to make sure, so he asked. It's okay to ask. It's never a sin to ask. And so the enemy was... Applying with 1 John 2.16, the lust of the flesh. Covet comfort for yourself. Covet something that you like and desire. So you've been out there for 40 days and 40 nights when you haven't had anything to eat. And all of a sudden, and you know it's not God's will for you to eat. That's just God's will in that particular instance. Ours would be maybe different. And all of a sudden, you see an oyster loaf in front of you. Oh, my goodness. Is it wrong for me to have this oyster loaf because I'm very hungry? Ask. Ask God. Now, you're going to think, well, wait, Peter, are you saying every time you sit down to eat, you must ask God? 
I believe that if we are a people more and more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, our disposition, the atmosphere of our fellowship and relationship with God being, I want to know and to be led, I think within that context, the Holy Spirit will speak to us in these issues of the normal ways of living. And we're going to begin to be tapped on the shoulder by God. Don't go over there. Go over here. Turn down this street rather than that. Be careful of that. Just want to set aside. And as we feel and hear these thoughts, this just, what is this? If you don't know, ask God. But this is the way the Holy Spirit communicates. But we have to have a basic disposition. God, Father, in any and every detail of my life, oh God, lead me, fill me, embrace me. For I don't even want to pick up a glass of water apart from your will. I literally want to be so radically dependent upon you that even a glass of water, I wouldn't want to drink without your will. He will speak to us. He will share with us. I can't tell you how many times I've had a thought come to me and I didn't do it and something later, oh, I should have done that. And almost immediately I've heard this, I told you. Have any of you ever have experienced that? Who is this? This is not Satan helping me. It's the Holy Spirit. God has more words and uses more words than Peter Davidson. He's chatty. And I want him to continue to be chatty. Jesus opposes it. Man shall not live by bread alone, by, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And in this, he's quoting, remember, from Deuteronomy 8, 3, where Moses tells the people, God has led you all these years through the wilderness. For what purpose? To teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God doth man live. It's a quote from Deuteronomy 8, 3. So Jesus, again, fires back. A salvo from the word of God. The second temptation, then the devil took him to the holy city. That's Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you were the son of God. Now, by the way, these ifs aren't Satan's denial. Satan knows who this is. But he's asking Jesus to put God to the test to make sure and to do a benefit for himself. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up on their hands and they will bear you up. Lest you strike your foot against a stone. Well, it's the word of God. But you see, even when the word of truth is quoted for an untruthful purpose that invalidates the use of that word for that purpose. I've heard so many believers say, yeah, but the word of God says this. It does not say that because it's not just a word that is spoken. It has a goal and a purpose. And when the two are not in concert, it's not from God's will. It is not God saying it to you. Amen. We have to be careful. Now, Jesus used the word of God again in his defense of Satan. And as Satan, as Jesus used the word against Satan, Satan is now going to use the word of God against Jesus. And so Satan quotes from Psalm 91, 11 and 12. Since God has given you a great name, 
He's just called you the beloved son. Remember in chapter 3, verse 17, you are the beloved son. Put that testimony to a test by publicly declaring your real identity to the world. This is who you are. Make sure this is who you are. Proclaim yourself to the world by throwing yourself down. All the world goes, this must be the Messiah. Use your identity for your own benefit. The pride of life, John 2, 16. Remember the pride of life. Covet a name for yourself. Covet recognition. Covet people knowing who you are and what you've done. Now, how many of us have done this? I've done it a lot of times, and I don't even begin to count. We're sharing the work of God. And we're talking about the ministry and say, well, yes, last week when I prayed for John. Anybody, you, you know what I'm talking about? Well, well, last week, you know, I was over there and testifying and I. And what is behind that sometimes? Not all the time, but what? Making something of myself. If you're not sure whether to say that, then don't say it. Now, that doesn't mean that saying it is wrong because the Holy Spirit may want you to say it in order to testify to the kind of life that he is leading you to live and manifesting himself through you and want you to proclaim something. That could very well be God's will. But it also, you have to be careful even in doing that. Test your heart. Test your heart and see how you feel about someone knowing that you did something and were somewhere and whatever. And here are the results. Here are the results of the sermon that I preached six weeks ago. Dot, da, dot, da, dot, da, dot, da, dot, da, Oh, isn't God good? <laughs> and am I not good along with him? Mm-hmm. Don't you see? Don't cover the name. Verse 7. Jesus said it's written again. Don't tempt the Lord your God. See? Don't tempt him. Don't put him to the test. Rather than calling upon the name of the Lord with trusting faith... In, 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 in uh, Israel, remember when they complained about the water being bitter in uh, Exodus 17, they accused him of corrupt motives, accusing him of not doing good to them. Don't put God to the test. Don't cover the name for yourself. Be very glad that in whatever is happening and whatever is being communicated, whatever is being attacked, whatever, anything, we are people of God's name. And let's allow the Holy Spirit to deal with all these issues. Whether he uses us in a particular way or not is his business, not mine. What about the third one? Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory. And he said to him, all of these, I'll give it to you. If you fall down and worship it, ah, worship me. There it is. That's the essence of every temptation, idolatry. Satan tempted to see the world in a pleasing way, but not in a saving way. You're here, you see, for good and for helping the world. And making it a better place. There are a lot of churches that that's the gospel they are walking out. We're here to make the world a better place. We are here for the gospel. We do works. We do social activities. We reach out not to make the world a better place, but to be used in the saving work of the Holy Spirit and God's people who may at least in a little bit and in a little area make the world 
a little better place. But essentially, God is not going to make the world a better place. He's going to recreate the world in his image to the destruction of the old world. Amen. We're not here for the benefit of the world. We are here for the benefit of God's kingdom, which will benefit God's people who live in the world as they are being saved. So don't go out of here and say, oh, well, you see, he's preaching against helping the world. No, we're here for the world of God's people. And in that, a lot of the unbelievers will be benefited until they die. And then the benefit eternally ends. And so Satan says this, if you have come to make the world a better place, then serve me and I'll give you the ability to make it better. There's no reason for the cross. There's no reason to preach that stuff. No reason to get into the gory issues of, of sin and, and, and damnation and, and, and atoning sacrifice. I mean, you know, blood. Oh, no, let's not do that. Let's just talk about how much God loves us. Well, that is the love of God. That is the love of God. Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. This time Jesus commands him to be gone. There is a place when we are being tempted to resist and overcome it. And then there is a place to literally say to Satan, Be gone. One of the most powerful things you can do as a believer is this when you're being tempted. First of all, say no. And secondly, say to Satan, you cannot and you will not make me sin. I will not sin. Don't ever say, I'm trying not to. The moment, he's got you. He's got you. I don't, I don't ever try not to sin. I never do. I either sin or I do not sin. Decide not to sin in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we say it? Decide not to to sin in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can walk lives of practical obedience in a growing way if we will discern that this is a temptation to sin and immediately upon discernment say no to the sin and even if we have to to say to Satan, you cannot and I will not sin. Can we remember to do that? I don't say try it. I say do it. Don't try this, believers. Do it. And you will find Satan fleeing. So James 4, 7. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. And he'll flee from you. And then thank the Holy Spirit. And ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse you of any thoughts or feelings or emotions. Father, by your Spirit, give me a spiritual bath right now. Wash this pollution out of my soul. And see, Jesus, Satan leaves and Jesus is ministered to by the angels. So next week we'll begin to see how Jesus exercises the good of his obedience by destroying the works of the devil through the establishment of the kingdom of God. So as we leave today, two thoughts. The absolute centrality and necessity of obedience by love. Obedience by love. I obey because I love this God. And secondly, know this. 
that Jesus won the day through perfection of obedience. And when God saved us even before, but when it was applied to us when we're born again, God sees every one of us having already obeyed him in all areas. Therefore, we are without any condemnation. If he didn't, we'd still be areas of condemnation. Come on, come on, put it together. Now God is calling us as we do continue to sin. He's calling us to allow him and submit to him as he conforms us and brings forth out of us the absolute obedience in love of his own son as we confess, as we repent, and as he overcomes and ministers to us and builds us up. What's happening more and more in my life and in our lives, we are displaying what the obedient man looks like. He broke Satan's ability over us in that wilderness. And we'll see next week the results of it as we go through the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. Thank you.